Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Survive and Thrive, the podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders in changing times can not only transform to survive, but also thrive. I'm your host, Jennifer Ayers. As a quick recap, last season, we focused on change management and helping our listeners understand how to positively influence the change they want to see in their organization. This season, our fourth season, we focused a lot on some of the important aspects facing many organizations today regarding the future of work. Congratulations! You've made it to the end of Season 4 of Survive and Thrive Podcast. Today is our wrap-up episode, where we will be examining what our great guests have said over this past season and some of the highlights that we've brought to the table. I want to see if a pattern has emerged in opinions about the future of work. What works? What doesn't? How can companies adapt to the ever-changing professional landscape? One of our very first topics we discussed is also one we cannot ignore. In the first episode of the season, I chatted with Jessica Radford about flexibility, how organizations must adopt a flexible outlook in order to better meet challenges of 2022 and beyond. And of course, we couldn't discuss this topic without mentioning the catalyst, the pandemic. It's a really an interesting observation that the immediate response everybody had at the moment was, holy cow, how do we get over this? How do we get my technology working properly? But then the next thing was, how do we bring some normalcy to this? And we even did things at Consinity, like a virtual happy hour where we brought in Aaron Petrie, who does these really cool cocktail classes online. So there were a number of things. And I even participated in another company's virtual escape room session. So we were all trying to scramble and think of creative ideas and for ways that we could help each other remain connected in a very different world that we were in. I do think it's important to push the thinking on how do we not just create what we used to have, but how do we create something different? Maybe this is an opportunity to do something a little bit different that we hadn't thought of. Yeah. And what technologies exist today that we can use to help further that? To that point, have you seen anything or can you build upon that as a starting point? So I can speak to something that I heard about that Moderna is doing. And this is in relation to their their candidate experience when thinking about large-scale talent acquisition. So as as we all know, Moderna had to scale their operations very quickly and needed to be able to interview like 100 people a day for roles across the company. But also it's a competitive market in the life sciences. And so how can you keep candidate experience top of mind and also recognizing the fact that you're not able to meet people in person and they're not able to come in and see the space they created a virtual experience where candidates can have breakout rooms that feel a little bit more like you would if you were on site having an interview, but some sort of arena where you're able to to deliver an experience. It's personalized. You don't feel like you're one of a hundred, but also you're able to meet the demands of 
of what the business needs. So still catering to that large number of candidates while delivering a top-notch experience. While breakout rooms in Zoom don't seem that cutting edge nine months later, Jessica points out the important piece of information that still stands. Companies and their leaders can harness technology to become more adaptable. My guest from episode seven, Luke Thomas, agrees. He discusses the importance of not only knowing what tools you have on hand, but also how and when to use them. We've talked a lot about how leaders can provide their employees with tools and the opportunity to be their best selves. Remote work and flexibility as a whole can be a bit intimidating to leaders who haven't embraced it until now. So what can companies and executives do to support their leaders as we shift into a new work environment? How can we set them up for success so that they can help their people succeed? At the end of the day, what a leader needs to do is change behavior at scale. And that's really difficult. Like It's difficult to you know exercise every day for myself. If you're a leader, you're facing a bit of a tall task. From my perspective, there's a few really important building blocks here that can help. The first is, you know, I mentioned this briefly earlier, but this, this idea of the office being a tool in the toolbox and remote being another tool in the toolbox. I think about it as like a hammer versus a screwdriver. Sometimes you need the hammer, sometimes you need the screwdriver. And so how do you determine kind of the superpowers, so to speak, of the office or real human conversation, FaceTime, versus remote work. And what is that superpower? And so there's kind of these big words thrown around in the space, you know, asynchronous communication versus synchronous communication, right? And for those unaware, asynchronous communication is basically a means of communicating in which the other person does not need to be present at the same moment in time, right? We're doing this over Zoom right now. And so this is synchronous because We can't kind of do this unless we're all present at the same moment in time. If I write an email or if I put together some type of long-form document, that's something you could read when it's most convenient for you. Synchronous communication, there are kind of some superpowers at play. And so the first is that you have a faster feedback loop because, you know, I can observe you nodding your head as I'm talking right now. If something is confusing, you might be able to interject and say, hey, like, do you mind explaining that more? Right. So there's a really fast feedback loop, not only through what we speak, but also how we interact. Right. A lot of communication is nonverbal. And so when you're in person or when you're communicating over a video call, for example, you can tap into that fast feedback loop to get on the same page. Right. And so high level, uh, synchronous or real time in person type conversations are best for converging around shared meaning. Right. Imagine two different people on different pages. You get together, you hold a meeting, you're able to converge around that shared meeting and get on the same page. It's really, really great at that. It's also really wonderful at building relationships. So I think about, you know, being able to go out and grab lunch with somebody or sitting down at a table in the cafeteria and eating food together. There's so much that you learn through that experience that then permeates and helps you work better with those people. When people think about the office, I would argue that it should really be optimized for those two things. It's like, hey, if you have people that aren't on the same page, or if you're trying to converge around that shared meeting, 
you should think about meeting up. If you are trying to get to know each other and accelerate relationship building, you should also consider meeting up in person. On the flip side, asynchronous communication is a wonderful, there are superpowers to it, right? Of written or, you know, recorded video like a loom or something. There's a few things. First is that you can revise it, right? So if I'm writing an email, I can kind of, you know, backspace, backspace, backspace to create a bit more clarity or to try to create more clarity in the message that I'm sending. You don't have that luxury when you're in a meeting and sometimes that backfires. The second is that it can persist or it's saved by default. So it can create these running records that can be accessed over time. It also can be a more scalable form of communicating. You know, imagine like a company-wide announcement. I can write that down or I can record that uh, quick video and share it out to a large group of people at once. Asynchronous communication is wonderful for uh, kind of creating guardrails, information exchange, sharing metrics, other information that is generally kind of not incredibly difficult to parse. It's a wonderful way of setting a foundation for discussion. And when you merge both of these together, you create kind of this yin-yang relationship. So let's say you as a leader, you're trying to spend less time in meetings because all your employees are complaining about the fact that you have meetings all the time, which is a, it's a thing, right? It's a real challenge. Yeah. yeah, it's a thing. And I would argue, why is that? Well, it's because I would argue that a lot of the meetings, the leader is trying to gather information and they're trying to kind of gain this context. And they're basically mismatching that information gathering with the need for a meeting. Because people don't generally complain about meetings where they're like, doing fun whiteboarding or where they're having fun and getting to know each other and maybe like playing games and stuff. But they will complain about the status update meeting. So the question is, okay, like what tool is built for when? So I like I went on a huge tangent there, (laughs) but I think it's really important that you create kind of this framework for thinking about what is most appropriate and when. Another pillar of the season, I believe, is what we spoke about with Amber Tishner in episode 11 around psychological safety in the workplace. If you haven't already heard that episode, I would go back and check it out. It's really incredible. For now, I'll share how Amber defines psychological safety. It matters on every level because if you aren't able to truly be yourself, you shut down. You might be in a toxic workplace and that is not a good place for a good worker because you'll go into survival mode. It's easy to lose your voice. It's easy to not feel that you're accepted for who you are as a person. And if you don't feel like you're accepted for who you are, then you're not going to give all that you have the ability to give. Being able to give what you can to an organization also means stopping when you can't give anymore. This season, we spoke extensively about mental health and wellness in the workplace such as with Lance Knob in episode 29. I'm, I'm sitting here laughing with a big smile on my face because I'm thinking, oh, gee, um, an entrepreneur that's overstressed, overworked, um, maybe neglecting their health. Gee, do you think you might have uh, a potential audience that <laughs> might be interested in talking to you? Yes. Well, unfortunately, I was also burning out, right? So I do know this is real. And, you know, by speaking and listening to entrepreneurs, this is a common problem. So I'll just quickly tell you the, you know, my story in 2011, when we 
had three offices and about 30 employees, we, we just had our third child and they were all under the age of four. And I was not taking great care of myself, not sleeping enough or much, not exercising enough and burning the candle at both ends, at all ends. And, you know, my body finally hit a tipping point and revolted in my, my digestive system, my gastrointestinal system stopped working. And for all of you who know what it's like when you can't eat and you um, may have to run to the bathroom at any moment and you're just not getting nutrition and you, you feel abdominal pain and nausea and upset and, you know, all those bad GI things, like you, it's pretty terrible. And I was completely incapacitated. Fortunately, it was temporary and I was able to slowly pick myself up and it forced me to pause and to do all the things I knew I should be doing with health, but also really probably step one was to introspect, figure out what was most important to me and do some personal development. And really then second step, get some more of the business basics and fundamentals in place. And lastly, integrate all these mental health and mindset and you know exercise, nutrition, sleep, and posture into my life. And, and by the way, what I just explained is the the process of the 4% breakthrough. I put all that into a book to help other entrepreneurs prevent burning out and to stay healthy while they're scaling their businesses so that they can get paid commensurate for the roles they have along the way and basically have a healthy business, right? Which is getting paid along the way, earning double-digit profitability and, and creating a valuable asset that they can decide to keep or, or sell if they want to. We expanded on the topic in episodes 31 and 32, and we examined how things like meditation can help with preventing or healing employee burnout. While being overworked and sometimes feeling underpaid absolutely does contribute to mental health struggles in the workplace, so do exclusive cultures. In episode six, we did a deep dive into diversity and inclusion in the workplace what the reality actually is, and how we can offer more seats at the table. We extended this topic with Kate Hall in discussing how to make workspaces friendlier and more humanizing. Kate Hall shared a powerful story in episode 33 that I think perfectly illustrates the importance of acceptance and understanding at work. On the flip side of that, I can share a very recent example of a team um, that I had worked with. This had been the third time I'd worked with them. So had the good fortune of having built relationships there. And when you do build relationships, coming with that, you hope is trust in each other. And, you know, I was able to share a very personal experience one day with my manager um, that after I have a transgender child, I have three children, but one of them happens to be transgender. And after seven years, she asked me to remove all the pictures in our home from public view, like, Hey mom, can you take these pictures of me pre-transition and put them all in your bedroom? And it was in the middle of the workday and it just completely threw me for a loop. And I wasn't expecting myself to kind of fall apart either. After seven years, I kind of thought I'm, I'm over this. I got over my grief. You know, I fully support my kid because I had that relationship. I was able to say to that person that I was working for, here's what happened. Um, They have an incredible culture of 
diversity and inclusion. So we had already talked about the fact that I had a trans kid and I said, I don't know how engaged I can be this afternoon, frankly. And she was like, no problem. Take the time you need. And it meant a lot because we were on a super fast paced project. And, and really it only took me about an hour to like <laughs> dust myself off and get back with it again. But just the ability to, to do that and to have that, especially when you're a consultant, like meant the world to me. Wow, that's a powerful story. And I thank you for sharing that. It just brings home and reemphasizes the point that psychological safety is so important in the environment and feeling like you are in a safe environment where leaders have your back and they care. Things are always going to happen in our personal lives that we need to navigate. And it's been a long time coming that we are able to bring our whole selves to work and and not just pretend to be something we're not because we, you know, punch the clock in at eight o'clock in the morning or something. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know, life doesn't wait for uh, life doesn't wait for us. So <laughs> it, it it happens. Having a safe place for workers of minority groups truly benefits everyone, as we've said before. In episode 34 and 36, we discussed ways to make the office friendly to disabled and LGBTQ workers. We closed out the episode on LGBTQ-friendly spaces with this note. Inclusivity is the gift that keeps on giving. It makes your employees feel safe and your culture will become more healthy and your company will thrive. This brings me to my next point, culture. I think that we have more to do in the future of work to get this right. In episode 18, my guest Devin Basinger and I dove into the importance of culture. In a recent Indeed survey, 46% of job seekers listed company culture as an important factor in their decision. So important, in fact, that 69% of job seekers would reject a job offer from a company with a bad employer reputation. Devin, as well as H1, understand this reality. He touches on how imperative culture really is and why it's so important to be intentional about creating the right culture. So it matters a lot for a few different reasons. It matters a lot to me personally because I only joined H1 for culture. The way that I'll frame it is when I made the decision to join H1, it was before we had our next round of funding. It was before I knew how fast we were going to grow. And it was before I really understood how fast our valuation would grow. And so for me, when I joined, we didn't have clear funding. We didn't have a clear path to hyper growth. And that really left one core metric for me to base my decision on when I was trying to figure out which startup I should join. I, I knew I wanted to join a startup. I knew I wanted to pursue a hyper growth opportunity. But the decision that it came down to was really based on the founders, how well I worked with those founders and how much I believed in the values that those founders had. And when I started working with the founders of H1, I felt that they had really good values, that they had the ability to execute in the way that they managed the business, to be able to, to execute on a plan to grow the business. But also I saw that you know they were going to be willing to work with me to build the type of company that, that we all wanted to have. And so for me, when I joined H1, it was really because of the culture that was being set by the founders at that point in time. 
And I felt that that was high alignment with my own values and I would be able to help them build the type of company we wanted. And so uh, number one reason, personal <laughs> personal motivation. I want to work in a company that I enjoy working in and I want to I want to work at a company that I'm proud of for the culture and values that they have. But from a scaling perspective, what we saw when we started to grow was as we moved from a 20-person company to an 80-person company, one of the first things you do is you go start hiring good, strong managers who you can build around and build your functions around. But you're growing so fast that it's hard to give them all like a thorough onboarding or help them really become indoctrinated in the values or culture that already exists. And what happens is every manager that you come in brings their own past experiences and they're using their best judgment and, and they end up building these microcultures on their teams because you're all growing so fast that at, oftentimes it's just not in line with kind of the core values that the company was founded on. And it wasn't that they were bad values, it was just that they were different. Some teams really valued being cautious and careful and precise in all the work that they were doing. And other teams really valued moving fast and being willing to experiment and iterating on the work that they were doing instead of trying to get it perfect the first time. When we got to about 80 people or 100 people, as those teams started really becoming dependent on each other to get work done because the team was growing and the size of the company was growing, there were substantial conflicts and frustrations because different teams had different expectations for what operating in a good way looked like. And when we saw that, we realized really quickly that it, was, it wasn't a reflection of the quality of those teams. All of the teams were good and all of the teams were capable and skilled and using their best judgment. But they just had different expectations in terms of what was good behavior within the company. And so it really became obvious to us that it was a culture question. And we started navigating this process of defining what our culture is and then getting buy-in from all the existing leadership team members uh, that that's what our culture should be and that's how we wanted to behave. And then from there, it, it really helped us gain alignment and helped us operate much better because we all understood you know, how we wanted to act and the type of company we wanted to be. I know that this episode may feel a little bit disjointed with its collection of topics. However, all of these subjects, culture, diversity and inclusion and mental health, all fall under the broader topic that isn't just future of work. No, all of these aspects speak to one larger experience, the employee experience. In episode 15, I welcome back Jess Pagoni, founder of Luna, to the podcast, During that show, we touched on a lot of what we've talked about today, flexible work, the importance of culture, considerations for health in the workplace. We also landed on the employee of employee experience. And what does that actually mean? Great question. So I'll start with employee experience inside any organization begins with their culture. And what it stands for. And so to me, culture equals values plus behaviors, the values of an organization and the behaviors that support those values. That's really where where your employee experience begins. Because if you're, Luna's values spell the word fresh. So freedom, resourcefulness, empathy, simplicity, and happiness. So anyone who joins our team knows that 
those words are going to be important and critical as part of working on the team. So if, if you don't build an experience around your values, then there's a disconnect. The values become vapor, nothing that, that really substantiates anything. And it's really a missed opportunity. So I would say starting with the, the values and the behaviors that support those values when I think about how Luna helps to personalize that employee experience, I think about all the touch points that an employer has with an employee. And it can pertain to communication or team activities, team interactions. It can be around professional development, uh, time off and vacation. Can be around compensation and equity options, can be around benefits that are offered. There's a whole host of areas that um, feed into that employer employee dynamic. And when you start to empower employees with some level of choice around those elements, and it doesn't have to be all of them, you know, a few choices around some of those elements. All of a sudden, you're giving employees that, you know, one, permission to be their unique self, uh, as well as, you know, more of a sense of control that they actually have a say in what they, what they can and, and want to do uh, in terms of working for the organization. I also think we are moving as a globe to uh, more outcomes-driven work. So, it used to be this nine to five grind and you got to put in your time and then, you know, get out of there as soon as you can and go, go finally live your life. They were very separate. And now we're in this work-life integration or, or looking for work-life harmony. And it's no longer about the two being very separate. In, in fact, they're, it's almost impossible to separate them. But there does need to be some harmonization and there needs to be um, a focus on what's the work I need to get done? Am I able to get it done? And have I effectively done it with the you know quality expectations, et cetera? And then let me shape my work and life around those outcomes instead of a focus on the time in the office. That being said, we can make time spent in the office still enjoyable for employees therefore boosting the employee experience altogether. Although we've already touched on burnout, mental health, and a safe culture, I feel the need to mention that our physical health is just as important. In episode 22, we took a closer look at the impact of air quality and lighting in office settings. I'd like to include a quick clip from that episode. It's not something that we might think about every day, but it has an impact on our overall well-being. And it's worth being considered in planning when employees may be coming back to an office environment. While natural light and air quality may seem like the basics, its importance can all too easily be overlooked. And many workers are saying that they're appreciating this, with 42% of Americans suffering from a vitamin D deficiency and about 137 million Americans living in cities and states with poor air quality as of 2022. It's really important now more than ever to think about how we can improve our environment and apply this to our office space. It's one more lever to pull to improve our employees' health, well-being, productivity, experience, 
and create a healthy workplace of the future. I learned many lessons on flexibility, culture, diversity, and inclusion, and more from season four of the Survive and Thrive podcast, and I truly enjoyed speaking with all of my guests. If there's one thing I could take away from what is important for the future of work, it's that by improving the employee experience and caring about their journey while they're with your organization can bolster the entire organization. When we take care of our people, they will take care of us. And together, we can not just survive, but thrive. Thank you, everyone, for listening and joining this week's episode of our Survive and Thrive podcast. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care.